know, as Landon continues to play, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read together as we get into God's Word. Kind of set the tone for where we'll be at over the next four weeks. kids to go out. I guess they got out quick. (laughs) Luke chapter 10, church. We're going to start in verse 38 and read down to verse 42. Starting in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. God, we thank you for the moments like this that we come before your presence, God. Lord, no doubt that you are here with us. We're two or more are gathered. There you are, Lord. And so this morning, I pray that we would just be attentive, God, to what it is that you have for us. Lord, as individuals, Lord, as a church, Lord, as a people. God, as we come in with all these things, God, all the distractions, all the struggles, all the burdens, all the shame, all the doubt, whatever it is that we bring in. God, I pray, Lord, that we begin to make room. God, that we would push aside the mess and the junk, God, and that we would allow you to speak in ways that only you can. God, clinging to your every word. Lord, open our hearts. Lord, soften our minds. Let us hear from you in a major way. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So Church Luke, chapter 10 is where we're going to start off our Advent season. You know, historically the church has practiced this season of Advent in a lot of different ways and depending on uh, what, um, you know, kind of Christian culture you come from, maybe you've kind of celebrated it, maybe you haven't, you know, uh, one way or the other, it's a thing built into the liturgical calendar that points us to an event. You know, and that event is the birth of Jesus, and that time was full of anticipation like we talked about earlier. And so what this anticipation was is it was uh, an anticipation of the gift of God to man, sending Christ the light of the world into humanity. You know, my favorite German, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which I quote all the time, he says this about Advent. He says, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. That's what Advent is about. It is about this anticipation of something greater to come. 
You know, and, and so for them, their anticipation was in God providing what the prophets had talked about, this child born of a virgin, you know, uh, and this servant who would come, wonderful counselor, all these things that the prophets had been communicating up to this point. They had this anticipation because they understood their need. And so for us as Christians today, we still live with a sense of anticipation. You know, and part of that obviously is eschatology, is as far as like, you know, the coming of Christ again. But even in our day to day, that we live in this anticipation in the same way that they did, this anticipation of something greater. That we as people, humble and poor of spirit, that we need something more than ourselves to carry us through, to give us value, to show us the way to work and to live and to function. And so we, even today, we live in anticipation. And so as we kind of take the next four weeks to lean into what it means, we've titled this series Preparing Room, because I truly believe the only way that we can engage with God in this season of Advent is entering into this space where there's room for God to work in the midst of all our distractions, in the midst of all our struggles, in the midst of everything that we bring to the table, that we can truly be and live in this sense of anticipation. Anticipation of something greater. Anticipation of something greater, not only in the future, you know, whenever the Lord comes back, but even anticipation of something greater from moment to moment, from day to day. Believing that God will and can do something with me and through me and for me in my life. And so for us, in our lives... You know, what I hope that we can gather from this morning is getting ourselves to this posture, this posture in our lives to really engage with Advent. You know, and and that's where, you know, for us, we find ourselves anticipating and participating in so many different things. So many different things. And like I said, Advent is all about, number one, anticipation. Number two, about celebration. And number three, about participation. And so... For us, as we kind of enter into this space, this story from Luke 10, it gives us such a picture of what it means, what I believe, or what it means about having this posture in Advent. What it means about being in this place where not only we're anticipating and celebrating, but actively participating. Because if we, if we disconnect our participation from the anticipation and celebration, then we begin to miss it. We begin to miss what Advent's about. We begin to miss what our Christian walk is about because we begin to lose focus on the reason. And what Advent really is all about is Advent's about hope. Advent is about hope. And we can miss, we can miss the hope if we get caught up in the hurry of life. If we get caught up in the hurry and the work and these things that we think and feel like we need to do or need to accomplish. And so part of making room is understanding the priority of our Christian life in this posture of Advent that I pray that we can kind of enter into this morning that carries us through week to week. And so what we see in this story is we see two ladies. We see two ladies that do two very important things in their Christian lives. But I think what it reveals to us is a full scope of Christian posture, especially during this Advent season. And these two elements they reveal and they kind of encourage us towards, is giving of ourselves and also giving of our service. 
and where we can easily forget the purpose of it all in the midst of the hustle of life if we allow it to. And so there's two things that I believe for us that we have to see as we kind of set ourselves up in this posture to enter into Advent. And the first thing is this. You know, if I subtitled it anything, and it sounds kind of cliche when we're getting into kind of the Christmas season, but I subtitled it The Reason. The Reason. And the first thing that I want us to see this morning from these first few verses is that we can miss the reason when our service becomes our Savior. And as we kind of go through this, I pray that you'll understand what I'm, where I'm getting at. But well, I want to kind of focus on some different parts of this story, maybe not necessarily see it chronologically, but kind of bring it to this point where we can see the full scope of what Luke is trying to communicate to us here and what Jesus is revealing to us and them in this moment. But in, in verse 40, where we see that, uh, that, that Jesus and His disciples are entering into this place, and we know that this place more than likely is Bethany because we know these people, Mary and Martha, if you know anything about your Bibles, then you'll know later on Mary and Martha come up again because they have someone else in their family that is very important to the Christian narrative, and that's their brother Lazarus. And they know these people, and this is the first time that they would meet these people, uh, Mary and Martha, in this moment. And so they are coming through the city, uh, the village of Bethany, and a woman named Martha, it says, welcomed him into her house. And so all the, we, we immediately see because leading up to this moment in Luke 10, Jesus has done some amazing things and He's been teaching and He's been uh, discipling His people. And so they had to have heard about Jesus and what He's doing. And so as Jesus and His disciples are coming through this, uh, the village of Bethany, Martha being a, a host, she says, come, you know, come into my home. And so we see this, this very authentic, very like loving, serving nature about who Martha is. And so we see her doing some things right, right off the bat where she's like, Jesus, come in. And so, for Martha, like I said, we see her do so much right. But then continuing on in verse 40, we see this. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And so in the midst of all this celebration, you know, they have Jesus in her home. She's preparing, I assume, a meal. She's making the environment comfortable for Jesus to be in and His disciples. She just wants to love on them and do all these things for Him. But what does it tell us there? What does Luke say? He says here, he says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. So in the midst of having Jesus present, she's able to be distracted. And so this word distracted, it means to be troubled greatly. And not, so not only is she like drawn away from the moment, she's drawn away from the moment because of the work that she's doing, but she's also being kind of another way this is described as being pulled apart. She's, she's troubled, like she's bothered by something in the home. And so not only was her attention divided, but she was flustered by her work. So it was because of what she was doing, actively doing, that, that it was causing her to be kind of out of sorts. And because of that, she was out of the moment. She was not seeing Jesus. She was not seeing the work, the, 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 the place at which she was in that moment. And so what we can see about Martha, because remember, she's done so much right up to this moment. She welcomed Jesus into her house. She's serving Jesus and the disciples. But in the midst of that, she's still distracted. She's still troubled. She's still bothered. Martha's problem was not that she had too much work to do, but it's that she allowed her work to distract her and pull her apart. 
She was not finding satisfaction in her work. She was not finding satisfaction in what she was doing. You know, and, and, and it's crazy. We would think it's crazy to think that any person serving God, the, 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 the Son of God present in their home could ever find dissatisfaction in His presence. But for us, and, and, and I think that we can begin to maybe even think about these situations in our mind, if serving Christ makes us difficult to live with, then something is terribly wrong with our service. I think this is where, and for me, as I'm reading this, and we're talking about celebrating and anticipating who Christ is. I'm a media, I've been doing ministry for a while now, and I know, you know, some of you have been involved in ministry and you've seen things, you know, you know those people and you know situations of people who may be serving in kids, serving in worship, maybe even pastoring or preaching, that they just seem so unhappy or just so burdened or so disgruntled about what they're doing. And I think this is where, this is where we can see the application with Martha. Because it is, it is possible in the midst of ministry to find misery. To find misery. To be unhappy. To be missing something. And because what we can know and what we'll see as we kind of move through this is Martha's work was not bad. But her response, her response reveals her misplaced priorities. And I think whether it's in ministry, whether it's in parenting, whether it's in our relationships, when we're trying to engage with the Lord in the midst of those things, you know, Martha had a readiness to serve, but her distraction and anxiety signaled an inner struggle. And then we see from her response the revelation of that inner struggle. You know, because like I said, we, we, we would think in our mind that if someone is serving Jesus and they're doing things in their Christian life and they're trying to be a Christian and live in this way, how could they ever be unhappy or how could they ever not find satisfaction? But if we're honest with ourselves, you've either found yourself there or you've seen someone navigate this space before. You know, I mean, specifically, maybe even in kids, you know, kids ministry is a tough thing. But I've seen it in worship. You know, I've seen it in all these different spaces where people are just, it's misery. It's misery to do it. They hate getting up. They hate getting there early. They hate staying late. They hate the prep. They hate all these things. And just like Martha, what that is, is it's a revelation of what's in their heart and it's a revelation of misplaced priorities. Because it's very easy for us to get to this point if we're not careful. And so how does Martha respond? She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And so what is she asking for in this moment? She's asking for, for one thing, affirmation about her service. And then she's also turned against her sister. She's turned against her sister in this moment. Her work turned her against her sister because she was distracted. And for her, you know, her attempts to work for Christ, what do we see here? It caused her to question Christ and show dissatisfaction and criticism of her sister. So she's actively serving. She sees the value in bringing Jesus in her home, the value of serving Him, but because of her misplaced priorities, she begins to question Jesus and have conflict with her sister. Because of what? Because of anything they were doing wrong? Absolutely not. Jesus is just, he's doing his thing leading up to this point. Jesus has been teaching. Jesus has been performing miracles. He comes into their home. What is the sister doing? And we'll get to her in a second. But the sister is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. 
But what's happening here? Her focus is where? Her focus is on herself. And what does her self-consideration get her to? It gets her to criticize her sister and critique Jesus. You know, listen, we talk about this all the time, but when our focus begins to get self-centered, we will make ourselves the center of everything. And so what happens here is we begin to see this kind of play out. That for her and for us, places we can get to or maybe people that we know, if our work is leading to an internal war instead of external worship, we have missed the point. If the work we do for Jesus leads us to internal war rather than external worship, we have missed it. We've missed the reason for everything that we do. And there's a disconnect. There's something wrong. If we come into this place one time a week and worship for an hour and 15, an hour and 30, if me or Brother Garen's really feeling it, then, then we're missing it. We're, we're missing something. Martha became too focused on herself. On her own situation, on her own work, on her own time. And it was robbing her of truly being able to worship in this moment. She was saying, she was asking, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me? Lord, do you not care about what I'm going through? Lord, do you not care about the struggle, I'm feeling, the anxiety I'm feeling, the, 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 I'm being pulled apart, I'm just disjointed. There's, uh, do you not care about that? Will you do something about it? Like, do you hear just the desperation in her voice? She's serving Jesus. He's in her presence and she's unsatisfied. A lot of us think that if Jesus was right here, then we would be different in our day-to-day lives. But if we're honest with ourselves, we would probably be just like this. We would kneel down next to Jesus and say, Jesus, do you not care that I'm going through this? Do you not care that this is the issues that I'm navigating? Do you not care about how someone is treating me? And so when we miss the reason, we miss the reason when our service becomes our Savior. Martha's service was the reason for all that she was doing. She, she, she saw more value there than anything else. And in, in, in the, the faithfulness of Jesus in that moment to do what He needs to do, the faithfulness of his, her sister to do what she felt she needed to do, she missed it. And I think as Christians, it's very easy for us to find our place there where our service becomes our Savior, where our work becomes the thing that defines us. Our work for, I mean, even her work, her work here is for Jesus. Her work here is for Jesus. And she's dissatisfied. And what we'll see right after this is Jesus begin to kind of reveal the truth for us. And the second thing I want us to talk about this morning is this. First, we talked about missing the reason when our service becomes our Savior. The second thing is this. When we realize the reason when we give ourselves to the Savior. Give ourselves to the Savior. Now, I know that sounds very like simplistic, but I want us to see something here. In verse 41, Jesus responds to it, and I love His response to Martha. He says, Martha, Martha. He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. This is what Martha was accusing Jesus of not being aware of. And what's the first thing he says? He says exactly the problem with her, with her heart. 
He says, you are troubled and you are anxious about many things. You know, how often, and, and I've been there, and I don't know about you, but how often do we think to ourselves, God, are you even aware of what's going on in my life? Are you aware of what's going on in my marriage? Are you aware of what's going on in my mind, in my heart, within my family? Are you aware of what's going on in my life? And I love Jesus' first response. He says, you're troubled. You're anxious. You're struggling with many things. Man, a beautiful reality is that Jesus is right there. Right there where we are. Right there with those things that are, we're struggling through. Right there with those things that are clouding our vision. That are, that, are, that are distressing us. But not only that, what Jesus is doing right here is He's rebuking Martha. But Jesus only rebuked people like this. The people that He rebuked like this are the people that He loved. And the, the people that he loved, that he rebuked like this, what he was planning to do is he was restoring their intentions to their proper place of production and participation. Because remember, what Martha was doing was not wrong. But it was how she was doing it. It was why she was doing it. You know, and there are other situations. You know, in, uh, in Luke twenty two thirty one, 31, Jesus says, uh, Peter is saying, Jesus, he's showing his devotion to Jesus. He says, Jesus, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And Jesus says, he says, listen, I've interceded for you. The devil wanted you and I'll fall for you. And, and Peter says, Jesus, I will never, uh, I will never uh, turn my back on you. I will never question you. And what does Jesus say? You know, this is when he says that before the rooster crows, you know, that you'll deny me. And but how does Jesus say that? He says, Simon. Simon. It's that repetitiveness. There's a rebuke, but there's a loving rebuke there. He's acknowledging him. He's letting Martha know. He's letting Peter know or Simon here. He says, I hear you. I see you, but. And then in Acts 9, Paul believes that he's doing God's work by capturing Christians, imprisoning Christians. Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus. And what does he say? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus rebukes to reorient our intentions. To take what truly is, is, is at its heart, someone believes is good, is passionate, has, we, that, that wants good for God. And Jesus reorients their hearts. And He does the same thing to Martha here. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And I think in our Christian life, whether it's in our marriage, raising our kids, or being in church, worshiping, doing ministry, whatever it might be, that we navigate a lot of anxiety, a lot of struggle, a lot of uh, times when we feel troubled, uh, uneasy. And, and I know, man, I know that time after time, even this week, that Jesus has had to lean into my life and say, Jake, Jake, you're missing it. You're, you're missing it. Jesus knew the anxiety and the worry she was going through and the damage it was doing, not only to her relationship with her sister, but also her relationship in that moment to Christ. 
And I think when our, the biggest thing is when our work becomes our Savior, our service becomes our Savior, that we begin to miss the moments with Jesus. We begin to be disconnected from our relationship with Jesus because we're trying to. And for Martha, I truly believe that her intentions were good. She wanted to do the best for Jesus. She wanted to serve Him, to provide for Him, to do things for Him and His people, to make them comfortable, to kind of honor Him. And within that, she was so distracted by earning something, by her service for Him, that she missed the reason. She was missing Jesus Himself because of her service for Jesus. This is where religion gets it wrong. This is where we as Christians can get it wrong when we get so focused on what we do that we miss the reason why we do it. I mean, who hasn't been a part of a church where you do so many programs, you do so many activities, you pack your calendar full of so many things that you begin to forget why you even do it. That you can be on the worship team, you can be preaching. Listen, I've seen them, I've talked to them. You can be doing children's ministry, you can be a door greeter, and you can forget why it is that you do what you do, and it become more of a burden than it is a blessing. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason that people, any of us, can find ourselves at that place. And Jesus tells her this. I think this is the greatest word of advice any of us, especially in anticipation as we enter into this Advent season. He tells her, he says, listen, Martha. He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. He says, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary, which will not be taken away from her. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. One thing is necessary. And so what do we know he's talking about here? Remember in the beginning of this, in verse, uh, in verse 39, it says that she had a sister uh, called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. What is she doing right here, Mary? She's in the posture of a disciple. You know, students would do this to rabbis in this time. They would sit at their feet and they would listen. They would take in what they had to say. They would want to become more like them. And so she's in this posture of a disciple. And Jesus tells her, but one thing is necessary. And for us as Christians, we can, we can, we can believe that so much is necessary. Right? And doing church and doing ministry and, and, and growing as a family in Jesus. We can believe that so many other things are necessary. But Jesus says one thing is necessary and that thing that is necessary is what your sister Mary is doing right now. You know, screens aren't necessary. Music's not necessary. Aren't necessary. Air conditioning's not necessary. The work itself isn't necessary. He says, one thing is necessary. And he says, this one thing that Mary is doing, says it can't be taken away. He says, this is the good portion. This is the good thing to take part of. He says, this is the eternal food that she is consuming. This cannot be taken away. And listen, if we haven't learned anything over these past two years, is that the things we have, they can be taken away. Right? Our homes can be taken away. Right? Our, our ability to gather can be taken away. Lives can be taken away. He says one thing. One thing cannot be taken away. And I believe this is the thing that for many of us, even in ministry, that we lose focus on. When our service becomes our Savior, 
we lose focus on that one thing that all this is all about. And it's about Jesus. It's about kneeling down at the feet of God. Humbling ourselves to people who are in desperate, desperate need. This is where for me as a father, where I begin to miss it. Where my desire to be a Christian dad is overshadowed by the work because I I lose focus on what I should be doing because I'm trying to do something for someone else. Right? And this doesn't mean that we, we step away from our service. But it means that our service will, will find our, the end of ourselves at our service if our service is dependent on ourselves. If we are the ones leaning in on our own. The one necessary thing was an attitude of worship. Listening with an open heart and mind to Jesus' words. Our work can even be removed. And so he tells them, he says, listen, when you can't serve, if you had the inability to serve, the one thing that is necessary that can be taken away from you is your relationship and your ability with the Holy God to lean down at His feet and hear what He has. To be fed by Him. To be empowered by Him. To be filled by Him. Nothing is more damaging to the Christian life than to work for Christ without taking time to commune with Christ. John 15.5 He says, For apart from Me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, all of this is meaningless. This worship we did this morning is meaningless apart from Jesus. What do we do with Christ? Listen, and this is, this is so vital. What we do with Christ is far more important than what we do for Christ. Listen, and we've talked about this over and over. God, God doesn't need our sacrifices. God doesn't need, you know, in, in the Old Testament it says, God isn't looking for our burnt offerings. God isn't looking for these these things at which we bring before Him and say, God, I'm giving this thing up to you like God has any need. He says, He has has everything. Like, what could God want from us? And there's no good that we bring to the table that's good enough to earn us that spot before a holy God. God says, I don't want your stuff. I want you. I want you. He says, I have a place for you. God says He's inviting us. Mary's posture is a posture that we should be living in constantly as Christians. Leaning in to what Jesus has for us. Hearing what it is that He has for us. Because if I'm not hearing from Jesus, I'm not going to have the words to say to my family to lead them spiritually. If I'm not hearing from Jesus, I'm not going to have the words to stand before you and proclaim anything of any worth or any value. If our worship team isn't hearing from Jesus, there's no word that they sing that means anything. It's all empty noise. It's all clanging cymbals and rusty gates. It's nothing unless we're leaning into and embracing the love of Jesus in our life. Listen, we can get so distracted by things in our life. Because what happened is Martha diminished the importance of attention to Christ by overvaluing her own work. Because we're in, in, inevitably, we are selfish, self-centered people. And that we can get so encompassed by ourselves and our own work that we elevate our work above our worship. We elevate what we do above the reason for why we do it. We see more value in our abilities than we do in the ability of Jesus in our life. We can do this as Christians when we worship the work and forget to worship the reason for the work. I love, uh, read this this week, a hymn by Charles Wesley called I Come With Joy. He says this in the song. He says, faithful to my Lord's commands, I would choose the better part. 
Serve with careful Martha's hands and loving Mary's heart. Charles Spurgeon said the way to get the revival is to begin at the Master's feet. He says you must go there with Mary and afterwards you work with Martha. I think this is the place at which we have to find ourselves. Revival starts at the Master's feet. I love that. That we go there with Mary, then we begin working like Martha. That the work we do is a response to what God has done for us. Because work without worship is meaningless. Work without worship is meaningless. And the Bible over and over again brings this idea to our mind. Proverbs 5.1 He says, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Psalm 119.15, he says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. 1 Corinthians 7.35, he says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Psalm 19.14 says, let the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Jesus, church, Jesus is the good portion. And he cannot be taken away from the person who has taken him in. Jesus is the only portion. Listen, this past week, I imagine you've eaten a lot of portions. And those portions probably haven't stuck with you much. Not in the ways you want to anyway. But Jesus tells Martha here, He says, listen, Mary has chosen the good portion. Listen, we have options in front of us. There are portions laid out in front of us. There are portions for work, and there are portions for worship. And And Jesus tells Martha here, He says, the portion that cannot be taken away is the portion that leads you to worship. To worship Me. Not to work for me, to worship me. Church, unless we meet with Christ personally and privately each day, we will soon end up like Martha. We will soon end up like Martha, busy but not blessed. Listen, we will be working. We will be working as dads. Working as wives, working as husbands, working as wives, working as employees, working as, as, as ministers, working as worship leaders, working as teachers. But we won't be blessed because our work will be our Savior and we will miss the worship. Church, Jesus has called us to a posture of worship, leaning at His feet, Leaning in to what He has for us. And so, in this series, as we begin to consider this, and I pray that this is day one, that we begin to posture ourselves in this place of worship. Because I believe it's where God's going to do the most work. I believe it's where God will bless us the most. That as we make room, church, that we would not forget our reason for the work, the reason for what we do, and the Savior we worship. That our pursuit of ourselves leads us against our brothers and sisters and to question the Savior. That when our work is for ourselves, for us to feel better, for us to feel comfortable, for us to feel more accomplished, that it will lead us against our brothers and sisters and lead us to question Christ. But that we, we as people, would pursue the one necessary vital thing. As David would say in Psalm 27.4, 
He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. I love that. To gaze upon Him and to inquire, to learn, to hear from Him. This is the posture at which God has called us to as Christians. You know, and and as the band makes their way up and we kind of enter into a time of worship at the end, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but this isn't the last time that Jesus would encounter Mary and Martha. This is the first time at which their relationships begins to develop. And Jesus develops a love and a care and a concern for Mary and Martha and their brother in this moment. But through their love and devotion to Jesus, a relationship would begin. And through this relationship, because of their relationship, Jesus would bring something to them. And what does Jesus bring in the midst of their relationship? He brings resurrection. In John 11, we see a desperate moment of death, of dying, of sickness, of distress, of struggle. And these two people show back up in the story. Mary and Martha in distress. Martha coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, if you'd have been here a little bit earlier, you could have saved my brother. Says the one that you love has died. And what do we see in John chapter 11? What does Jesus do? Shortest verse in the Bible. says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Because of their relationship with Jesus, Jesus wept for them. Jesus loved them. Jesus had concern for them. Jesus leaned into this moment with them and he engaged with their hurt. He engaged with their, 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 their struggle. He engaged with their doubts. He engaged with their fears and Jesus wept for them. Jesus showed love for them and because of their relationship, Jesus brought resurrection for them. And what do we see? Jesus tells Lazarus, he says, get up. Church, when we engage in a relationship with Jesus, He brings resurrection to dead things in our life. He brings resurrection first and foremost to our souls, that we are risen to walk in new life. But then He begins to resurrect the weaknesses that we have. He begins to resurrect the doubts that we have. He begins to resurrect, He begins to repurpose our lives for His good and for His glory and for our good and for our growth and for our movement in our Christian lives. And so what Jesus has called us to is He's called us to a posture of worship that engages a relationship that brings about resurrection. Every one of us needs resurrection first and foremost for a dead soul that has been scarred and, 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 and infected with sin. Through repentance, Jesus says we find resurrection in Him. And then Jesus begins. He comes back to us. He comes back to us like He came back to Mary and Martha in the midst of their death and dying and He brings resurrection. Church, a relationship with Christ brings resurrection in our lives. 
And so for us, I pray that we would see this. When people say that we need revival, that we be reminded and we would know that we need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. When people say that we need unity, that we would know first and foremost we need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. When people say we need to win arguments and we need to fight and we need to push, that we need to remember first and foremost we need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. When, when I think to myself, I need to be a better dad, I need to be a better husband, I need to be a better pastor and leader, I need to be, be a better nurse, first and foremost I need to remember I need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his word. Church, it's at the feet of Jesus where we find life. It's at the feet of Jesus where we find forgiveness. It's at the feet of Jesus where we sit under the shadow of the cross and we're reminded that my sin has been nailed with my Savior. And that I have hope. That Advent is about hope. That Advent is about anticipation of greater things to come. And that there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no doubt that robs us of the hope and the anticipation of greater things. And we're reminded about that when we find ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Worshiping Him, hearing from Him, loving Him. Church, let our works be a reflection of our worship. And our participation be a celebration of Christ's intervention. Let us bow our heads. Stand, bow your heads with me, and let us pray together as we worship our Savior. Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for this moment that you've given us to worship you. God, I pray this morning as we come, as we, Lord, as we may find ourselves at the end of ourselves, Lord, maybe discouraged, maybe confused, maybe curious of what our next steps may would be. God, help us to know, Lord, if we have worshipped our work, God, if we have depended on what we do rather than engaging with the reason at which why we do it, God, that you would remind us. God, you would remind us that I am nobody unless I first worship you. God, that we are nobody. We can't do anything unless we first find ourselves at your feet. God, bring us to your feet. God, maybe it's repentance that we need to do. God, asking for your forgiveness. God, let us come to your feet and ask you for forgiveness, Lord, where you say you're faithful and just to forgive. God, maybe it's encouragement. Lord, I pray that we would find that at your feet. God, maybe it's revival. Lord, I pray that we would find that at your feet this morning. God, I pray that in all the distractions we have, God, that we would make room, push those things aside and engage you. Lord, worship you love you and allow you to lead God and direct us in the spaces you'd have us to be. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name.